Welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. Today we're going to talk a little bit about Apex Legends. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, it's pretty simple. We like to talk about games. Um, Apex Legends is the new game from Respawn Entertainment. I guess, like loosely based on slash kind of affiliated with their titanfall in the titanfall universe and it's also associated because it killed titanfall 3 which is terrible (laughs) yeah i mean we are uh uh, i'm sure that we're gonna get into um some of those details uh pretty soon but um yeah yeah, the, the crazy thing about apex is it just kind of came out of left field right like We've been hearing about titles like Anthem or, um, you know, like a lot of these other sorts of things pretty much all the time. Yeah. But I don't know. It seems a little crazy that there was this entire other game out there that just kind of is like, oh, hey, we're out now. So so uh, the uh, interview, I think, that was given with the Eurogamer, the uh, Vince Zampella, who famed for have created basically the, the, the modern Call of Duty games. Which is what this uh, uh, this is, which is what Respawn Entertainment spun off of its its old Infinity War developers. Um, basically, said that um, they were making a free to play game with loot boxes, and they knew that, like you know, that that's like a touchy subject. So they might as well just put the game out and let people judge it on its merits, rather than you know, um, you know, risk the hype cycle getting under their skin and whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And. Uh, uh, the honestly, the the thing that I am probably the most aggravated about is how good this game is, um, for being for having killed Titanfall, which I like better, but is it, uh, but you know this this game's still still pretty good. Uh, did you yeah, enjoy, so you enjoy there, your time with it? There has been uh, I I do I mean I I am interested in these battle royale games, but I think ultimately kind of they're not for me, um, and um. I do feel like Apex is at like it kind of stands on the shoulders of giants a little bit like because of who Respawn is um and how Titanfall works that they kind of have the ability to do that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean not only is it standing on the shoulders of giants of its previous titles and of EA but also uh on the shoulders of Fortnite and Overwatch. Um, yeah yeah like this is not i mean when we first talked about uh when we first talked about PUBG two years ago we were talking about um the ability of blizzard to make a Fortnite version or whatever and what that would look like and this is basically that right yeah. no it absolutely uh, it, is. It, it's only launched with oh excuse me eight heroes um but you know yeah yeah and you buy more heroes and you buy more Costumes. That's an interesting monetization opportunity that you haven't had other places. Is definitely um, is is more heroes and you know um, the loot boxes aren't so obnoxious. Um, I don't know, it feels like there's less kind of a call to just do them only and all the time. Um, it feels like it. It feels less important. Maybe it's one of these things where like I don't know. It just doesn't feel as front and center as as it is in. This, Definitely over or not Overwatch, uh, uh, Fortnite, but uh, also maybe mm. Overwatch. Like I feel like it's pushed a little bit harder in Overwatch. Um, this is also really? might be like the, um, I don't know. I always felt like a, there, there was like a a push to buy more loot boxes in Overwatch, but maybe it's not so important. Um, also, it's also the first week, right? So yeah, um, like kind of the dirty trick that 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 Black Ops played was it didn't introduce loot boxes until like three weeks after launch, so that way it wouldn't be reflected in the reviews. Um. 
But uh, yeah, just for a basic overview uh, for the people who haven't uh, seen, it's a uh, it's a battle royale game. It's got it's it's also a hero shooter. Um, there's a bunch of different heroes. They all have different abilities, and you do the standard battle royale thing and play around a bunch. Um, and then it does some other cool, neat things that I think really make it um, one of like it is a worthy entry into the genre, if only because of some of these I think key improvements uh, that they've made. Um, not the least of which is, uh, that it's only squads. Um, I think that this lets them kind of design better around, uh, around having definitely three people on each team. Um, uh, whereas like in, uh, in, in the other battle royales, uh, the game just plays out differently with different, with different sizes of squads. I don't think it's too big of an impact, but I do think you can like, uh, design kind of encounter spaces better when you know that there's going to be approximately, uh, six people in a fight at any time. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, along with this, uh, I also think that the I also think that the abilities and everything like that make it, um, you know, a little bit more kind of complex because you're not trying to make you know the, you can do a little bit of this in in PUBG where you're trying to make reads on what people have and you can kind of tell like oh they were shooting at me from far away so they probably have like a DMR and something else or something kind of like that. But in here you can kind of see. Well, that's the silhouette, shall we say, of the medic, um, or something kind of along those lines. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, this definitely has that TF2-ish style where, like, characters are relatively uh, recognizable from far away. Um, mm. uh, that, that kind of silhouetting thing, absolutely. It doesn't really affect armaments, but it does affect kind of, like, class abilities, like you said. Um, uh, what else is there? Um, I think... Uh, I think one of the, the, the more kind of key things that they've done um, is, in addition, you know, because of this whole kind of squad play aspect, uh, it feels, one, like it's harder to, to, like, have two people, you know, like, have stragglers. Um, I think part of that might be this kind of, like, magic number of three. Like, uh, the, the more I think about it, the more I think that it, it kind of keeps people from, uh, like, I, I think with the four-player squads, which is kind of like the gold standard, um, you're, there's this uh, um, tendency to kind of split off into two groups of two, and when you do, and even though they're relatively near to each other, right? Like you're, you're kind of like you split off into two groups. Um, it lets people kind of uh, like essentially it leads to more uh, split squad deaths. Like I feel like um, I have rarely have ever been in a situation where one person um, is running alone by themselves to finish out the round, and to go along mm. with this. Is this neat mechanic where if you pick up your teammates' uh, a banner, uh, like if they die, if they die, like if they die, um, you can revive them like in any other uh, battle royale game. But if they die, die, uh, you can pick up their banner, and uh, there are like resurrection stations that you can call them back in from, which is uh, a really cool addition uh, to the game. It's one of those things where it's like really hard to pull off if you're very late in the game, but uh, mm -hmm. uh, really so, but really satisfying. Um, we had a game, I was playing with our friends the cast, Monarch and X, uh, and we had a game where um, very early in the game, Monarch died, and I pulled off this incredible last-minute thing where I went and got his banner right before it disappeared, and then ran and resurrected him, and then we came in second that round. So, you know, you, at least it's some really cool gameplay. Um, uh, along with that, just some, like, little innovations, like... Um, uh, one of the, uh, like, there at the beginning of the game, there's, like, a ship flying around that's, like, a moving place with loot that you can drop onto. It's usually a hot zone. 
Um, it's not perfect. Uh, there's, in fact, a bug with that where if you die on the ship and your teammate goes to res you, um, it it uh, it doesn't, like, uh, so basically sticks you in space, but the ship is moving, so the ship moves through you and kills the both of you. It's uh, it's it's pretty funny. It was pretty terrifying <laughs> when it happened the first time because, like, we just won this great engagement on on the ship. Um, X and Monik were down, and I was... Uh, and I was up, and I was like, all right, we've won the ship. We can get on with this. I'm going to go pick up X, and oh, my God, what is happening? And then we're all dead. It's like, God damn it. We were so, we, you know, we, <laughs> so such a hard one to fight, too. So uh, hopefully that gets fixed soon. But a little things like this kind of just make it, uh, uh, like, put, put a really fresh spin on it. Um, uh, I think that, like, um, yeah, uh, the, 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 those are kind of like the, the the big features that I think are, are worth noting. Uh, you you have any other thoughts, buddy? Uh, so I obviously haven't played as much uh, because we just decided to do this yesterday. So I have played a grand total of like five games. Um, but it is remarkable how much better it feels to play than PUBG from a kind of sort of casual point of view. I'm sure that if you are kind of like hardcore you know, like PUBG is better or, you know, like any of these other kinds of things, but just like being faster and having mobility and not being kind of clunky and, you know, having things like voice lines um, and, and stuff kind of like that. Like, I feel like, you know, maybe th- this is the ultimate sort of like casual craft kind of, kind of thing, but those, they make a big difference. I feel like um, at least for someone like me who is, shall we say, Battle Royale Curious. Um, so, yeah, I and I also think that, uh, to a certain extent, when uh, these these games kind of branch off from other ones, right? So, like, Fortnite was originally a completely different game, and then they created the Battle Royale mode. Um, I also feel like that is a really fertile kind of, like, spawning pool you know, like the soup of life kind of thing to try to, to to test out new mechanics and to see how new things kind of like work, if that makes sense. And it's been really interesting from a, like an industry-wide point of view to see how much innovation has taken place in just two years since the release of PUBG and like this map, I like, and this kind of game mode got so crazy huge in the first place. Do you know what I mean? Um, and, uh, and I feel like that that's really interesting, you know, like when, when we see big shifts in, um, I feel like when we see big shifts in the gaming world, it takes a while for things to catch up, right? Like when Halo comes out and completely kind of upends the way we talk about shooters, um, or even like Call of Duty Modern Warfare, however many years, four years later or something like that, right? Like it takes a while for kind of like other things to kind of uh, to kind of like catch up. But here we're seeing not just catch up, but like, you know, leaps and bounds in innovation. It's because they're drawing from these other titles and other properties at the, at the exact same time. And I find that really interesting. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I think part of that is because um, the Battle Royale genre is essentially a mode for a shooter, right? Like you can import a lot of mechanics from uh, different games. In fact, it's almost like... It's almost like uh, uh, the next phase of the arena shooter, almost, which had been dead for a while, right? Like mm-hmm. um, that. That it's like a, it's, it's a grander version of that. Obviously, it's not as deathmatching. There's not. There's not like 
respawns or anything. Although, you know, like I said, there are some in this game. Um, but uh, uh, the, the fact that you can take an existing shooter game or even a non-shooter game, right? Like a Battle Royale has a Battle Royale mode, which I, I haven't checked out. But um, that's like a, that Battle Royale is essentially a MOBA, but with just the team fights. Um, and so uh, like you can kind of fit uh, a lot of different genres to, to, to this. Um, yeah. but even even the prime one being shooters is is uh, you don't have to kind of reinvent the wheel kind of like MOBAs were hacked off of initially hacked off of RTS games. I'm just yeah. sure a lot of the, their DNA. Um, uh, but they're all like there's such a fundamentally different way of kind of uh, of, of of gaming, like fundamentally different type of design that I felt that I feel like not a lot of other companies had like. Uh, the kind of insight to jump into it properly, whereas like, with with shooter with, with any of these companies that are making these big shooters can throw something together and go for it, even if it's not you know so great. Like you know, I thought Radical Heights was neat, but that's definitely an example of like, oh, we have all these shooter assets, let's throw this together in a weekend in a last ditch effort to save the company. Um, yeah, yeah, and I also think that um, I also think that a lot of these shooters are. Uh, well, you know, to like to a certain extent, I actually kind of like wonder if this is just like a larger and wider evolution of like, you know, like team deathmatch doesn't really apply anymore. It, you know, like oh, we've kind of outgrown the team deathmatch model um, of shooter, and so this is what the next evolution of that looks like. And I think we've seen kind of different attempts at you know seeing seeing how this kind of thing works um for instance i even think titanfall 1 is a good example of this right like didn't titanfall 1 have ai essentially creeps in the in the battle with you yes um yeah you know like that sort of thing and i by the way i think creeps you know and having small kind of bot ai is a pretty good idea for something like that but i just feel like the battle royale version of a first person shooter is like more compelling for folks because there's like there's never that time when you get killed um and you're sitting in like the you're sitting in like the the load screen screen and you're watching your team like lose and lose and lose right like the moment that you lose you can just leave and get out kind of thing yeah um and like that probably is the key that's probably the thing that i feel like attracts people to battle royale over you know whatever the the latest blops uh blops thing is plus i also think the loot aspect of it um kind of gives people a sense of progression through the match where you're go you're almost like doing sort of like a roguelike thing where you know at the beginning of every match you have nothing but then you can build yourself up and be like oh man this awesome shotgun you know whatever sniper combo is is so cool and fun to play kind of thing you know yeah. what i mean Absolutely. So I, I think this is actually the, uh, a confluence of a, of a couple different things. Like back when PUBG came out, we did that episode. I, I mentioned this. I think it's worth reiterating, which is um, this is kind of coming off the back of, of kind of the Haiti of like super competitive games um, like uh, League of Legends and Overwatch. And I think what happened with those games, is a lot of people got burned out on kind of the those matches where when you like like you mentioned, when you start to lose um, and you keep losing, it's like 10 or 15 minutes before the match is over. Um, and it's demoralizing to lose because you're doing it for a ranked for a rank, and it doesn't work out. Right? Which, which is not this like mm. deathmatch has those feelings much less, um, like a traditional deathmatch. Because even if you if the if 
the game goes poorly for your team, you can still have a decent personal score. And it's just usually not as big a deal. Um, uh, but um, I think a lot of the burnout around that is what made these first battle royales so popular. And it's so because they're so popular, obviously everybody's throwing their hat in the ring. But I think you've identified something um, good or some something key with the loot thing, right? Like that people like these looters. And uh, not only that, but like you can have an extremely limited loot pool, but it resets like every game. Right, like the pro- like not the problem, but what, one of the things with say Diablo or um, uh, or like Destiny is that or I mean World of Payday, War- right? Like Payday keeps having to you know, or they used to. Uh, Payday Two development has stopped, um, but they used to just need to continue adding new weapons in DLC packs and stuff like that because once you got a once you bought a weapon, you had it for forever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I, I very much agree with you there. I think that that like kind of, um, roguelike, uh, element to it. Yeah. Um, th- that was the third thing I was going to identify is that roguelike, roguelikes and roguelites are pretty popular right now as well. And this definitely, and like battle rails definitely tap into that kind of, uh, uh, idea as well, right? Like, you know, fresh start, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, I think also that like, being luck based with the looting and whatnot is uh is is a couple things one it's you know it doesn't make it it makes it less competitive strictly speaking right like you can't you know the best player will not always be like a better player will not always be a, a, a worse player which is generally mm-hmm. kind of like a seen as a bad thing from like a from like a purely competitive point of view but it makes um i think games more enjoyable for worse players it makes um it it it'd still be fun otherwise, and also it makes the game fun to watch, right? Like I think there was this this, this kind of long running thing with esports where um, you assume people wanted like the the most hyper competitive type of stuff, but it seems like, especially with like the with Fortnite, that um, things being uh, things being uh, not hyper competitive isn't necessarily a a problem for viewership. Um, and I think that luck aspect also lets you kind of feel better about your losses because there's always this kind of like ephemeral idea where you could be like, oh, I got unlucky that time, um, which is true some of the times, but it, it makes some of those losses sting less. And the, the losses are so low, um, what's it called? Low, uh, low, low cost that it's not a yeah. big deal. And uh, there's this natural balancing mechanic, which I think is kind of neat, whereas the longer you get into a match, the longer you're in a match, the less likely you are to have been like basically loot screwed. Like it's like if you're in a match for like most of the match, you've probably been through enough places that you've got something to work with. So you can't really blame the loot as much. And so it doesn't feel as bad if you die because then it's mostly down to skill. Whereas if you're screwed by luck, it's very much very likely in like the first couple of minutes of the match. Um, and that loss is, you know, that loss is very, very uncostly. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely, uh, I definitely feel that. Um, yeah, these, uh, part of me thinks that this is a neat kind of almost like companion episode with like the negative progression episode. Because to a certain extent, I think, like, I, I don't know how this falls into it. Because in a certain sense, I want to say there's, you know, like negative progression in the sense that when you lose a match, you know, you, you have to start over or whatever, right? That that's the roguelike thing that we're talking about or whatever. But I also think to a certain extent that the this is an aversion or a subversion of that idea because basically as soon as 
you would experience negative progression in another game. You just get booted out to the start and start over. And somehow that just doesn't feel as bad or frustrating. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just cause I don't play enough. Um, and so I, I want to be cautious with like talking about t- talking about it in those kinds of terms. Like maybe if I played these map modes more often, I would be a lot more, uh, I guess I would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like when when you drop out in the first couple of squads three or four times in a row, right? Like that that definitely should get on your nerves. And maybe I just don't have a good sense of. Yeah, I don't know. We we were kind of getting there when we were playing right before we were re recording this. Um, we weren't playing particularly smart, which is uh, partially on me. But we kind of like just got stomped by the first people we ran into, um, and so I was starting to get there. But like that's just kind of. Uh, a battle royale standard like it's not particularly worse in this game than any of the others but that, that's just kind of how it goes with these types of games um you just can't uh like you're not gonna win them all and uh sometimes you you get a bad string of luck um and then you uh th- then you go do something else but that's mm-hmm. that's fine that's just just how the you know you you have to the game a game that can't be frustrating i don't think can ever be like super good like you have to have the ability to fail in order for your accomplishments to mean anything um so i think that i think that that it's a good balance here um i do want to highlight a couple of things that i think are like really good quality of life features that this that this introduces um starting from the launch when you launch um uh, one person is in control of your whole squad. He's called the jump master and you can jump individually if you want, which uh, I think is key. But if you don't want to, you can follow your teammates along and you'll all land in the same place, which is a really cool feature. I think um, along with this, you're followed by trails of smoke and those trails of smoke are very visible. And the other teams have them too, which is really good for kind of like getting an idea of who's landing around you. You barely really get into the situation where you land and somebody else has landed near you um, but you aren't aware of it and you just kind of get uh, turbo screwed, not because, not by like luck or not, it, it, you get screwed because you get out, um, play, you know, obviously there's, there's luck there, but you're not surprised is the point, right? Like you, you know, the, you know, when you're in a mad scramble, if you lose that mad scramble, oh, well, but at least, you know, you're in the mad scramble. You're not just kind of leisurely going along. You're like, oh, there's a person and then they shoot you, which happens a lot in another game. Um, uh, PUBG tries to help with this, you know, like. PUBG having the giant parachutes is helpful with this, but, you know, these big, streaming, colorful lines of smoke, I think, are, are probably the best way to do it, especially because um, they leave these big trails that you can see where people are going. And not. Um, do you yeah. know if, um, some, uh, if, like, one of the other changes for this game that interests me, I guess I would say, um, is the ability to ping stuff, right? They have a pretty complex and advanced... Yeah, like they have context-heavy pings, so you, I can well, you, like this is part of the production values thing that I was talking about earlier. But yeah. like, I can look at a gun and ping it, and it will tell my whole squad what's what it is. Like, my character will say, "There's there, there's an alternator over here," you know, like or whatever else. Um, It'll work on all of us too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know if any of uh, do you know if any um, the uh, do you know if any of the other battle royale games have a system like that? Not that I'm aware of, especially not to the uh, extent that this is. Um, uh, uh, th- I don't know if you've, if you've 
played around with it, but you can like you, there's a whole wheel of pings um, that you can manually hit. Uh, there's very good content like context sensitive pings. Even little things like if you ping an item and I pick it up, it like pops up a a a, a, a pop up and I can thank you right like it's like hit this button and my character says thanks. Uh, which I think is, you know, it's a little thing, but it's 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 really nice, right? Like, the, I think that I think that really helps because you know, because the default mode is squad, yeah. Um, and even if you're playing solo, you will random into a squad with people. That kind of stuff is just really helpful because, like, unless you're playing in a super coordinated environment with friends, where you know, like this sort of stuff might be, I guess, I would say trivial to a certain extent. Um, but like in that sort of squad scenario where you like, like lowering the barrier to entry to being able to communicate with your squad is really helpful and powerful. Yeah, I, I absolutely, um, uh, and, uh, what is, what else is it? Like that, that pinging system, like there's a bunch of little things like that, like, um, I don't know if any if any of your listeners uh were really that deep into PUBG, but I was. And like the uh the distance marks on the scopes were not always calibrated to the rifles. Um like sometimes like there were there were different points in the scopes that mar- uh marked up. And you could make the argument that that's, you know, more realistic, right? That like um a scope on a uh, uh like that a, that a random scope you find on the ground is gonna be properly calibrated to your weapon. But it was kind of aggravating, right? The 200 mark didn't always hit 200 meters. In this game, uh, the scopes all ranged themselves correctly based on distance. So, like, the 200 mark on any scope that you pick up will always will always hit things 200 meters out. Um, they kind of... Uh, and they automatically adjust themselves to make that true as well um, because there's bullet drop in the game. So, I think that's a really slick feature. Um, I know that uh, Vince, like, a, the, the, the head designer was bragging about this on Twitter earlier. Um, and it's something I definitely appreciate. Um, mm-hmm. um, I will say it's a little bit less useful in this game, I feel, because um, it's a little bit more of a frenetic game, which I like. Um, this is something I wanted to point out earlier, but um, I think this game, uh, like, the, the the kind of common wisdom is that it's going to be very hard to, to eat Fortnite's lunch. Um, and I think this game has a potential inroads because it's a very slick and very good game. Um, and it's kind of like in the same, it has the same kind of game feel as Fortnite does, but it doesn't have the building element. I know the building element's a big turnoff for a lot of people. It's a big turnoff for me. Um, and so having that kind of slick gameplay combined with the need to not have to master these weird building controls, I think is going to be a very powerful thing. Can I actually just ask why don't, what, what, what is the turnoff aspect of the building element? Um, you have to be really like, you it's a skill that I don't want to have to bother with. And it's, it's like, you have to be good at rapid building, right? Like you have to like, uh, like the best videos are like, um, at the end of a game, somebody like building a house around their, their last opponent or whatever, right? Like you have to be able to put things up very quickly and use it as, uh, as, as an augment to your movement, uh, an augment to your defense. And, uh, okay. Um, that, okay. That makes sense, I guess. Yeah. Like if it was separate, um, I'd be okay with it, I guess. But like, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to speed build. Like, it's just not fun to me. I, I Yeah, I, I've always liked the idea of building um, in Fortnite because I think that that's, um, that's you know, like the, uh, that's an interesting dimension. And I like the idea that, like, there is that kind of defensive play style a little bit, right? Like, you can fortify a position um, if you want or something kind of along those lines. But I do think that speed building is not quite that. 
um, yeah. and doesn't hit that same itch. So I, I feel you. Yeah. I mean, I know that there's a lot of people that kind of fall into that same line. So I think this game will, will be able to, to kind of scratch that itch for people. Um, what else is in here? Um, so what, what heroes have you played? So far. Uh so I've so I've played a couple of different heroes. I played my very first game I played the um uh shit. Uh the medic. I can't remember any of their names. I played the the Korean the Caribbean pretty sure she's Caribbean. Medic. Yeah, you think she's I thought she was Asian, but I I am I'm more than happy to be wrong about that. Um So I played the so I played the medic. I played the the tracker bloodhound guy and then i played um the zip blink invisible portal girl um and and what were your thoughts of them and and how did you enjoy their uh kind of uh different abilities So so the interesting thing i feel like about these um the interesting thing about these three in contrast with one another, I feel like is that I was really surprised at how much the little things like having a passive and having, um, and having that just like one single active that has a pretty like hefty cooldown. Um, I think all of them were 30 seconds plus kind of thing. Um, changed the way that I felt like I was playing. Um, a lot of the times, like I made this complaint about destiny, right? Where destiny just kind of feels like a shooter. And then every once in a while you throw a grenade or you activate an ultimate, but like, it's so rare that really you don't feel all that different um, as a, as a Titan versus um, as a, as a hunter. Right. Um, and I can't really, a, the hype, te- technically on paper, all of these things inside of the game were the same in the sense that they were these long cooldown single abilities. There's kind of a weak passive. Um, and then they have like an ultimate that, that generates over time, but otherwise, you know, it is, they are, they are who they are and you, um, and you get all of your stuff through the loot that you're picking up and your guns and stuff like that. But for some reason, I felt like there was a real, I don't know, identity with these characters in a way that I didn't think that there was an identity in Destiny. Um, maybe it's because, like, it is PvP by default, and you are you are kind of playing around the choices and the decisions of other characters. Like, just the small thing of running around on the Bloodhound guy and scanning a building before you go in to detect whether or not there are hostiles, right? Um that just like makes you feel a lot different than um than the other than the other people you're playing with even in you know even in like destiny so i really don't know I, does, does that does all of that make sense yeah it, it makes sense to me because i i think this is just like i a, feel like i i feel like a giant fucking hypocrite <laughs> let me just put it that way <laughs> what, what, what do you feel like a hypocrite because it is the to, to me it's the exact same thing on paper right um they are they are the the systems in Destiny Two and the systems in Apex look so similar that I can't imagine why one of them I, I, I can't imagine why one of them feels satisfying and differentiated and the other one doesn't. So I, I think there's a couple things there. Um I think that one uh part of this is informed this is like a hero shooter thing where the characters all have very strong identities that even if they didn't have the abilities to differentiate them, you'd feel it, right? Like, um, 
Now, this has gone back to TF2 and Overwatch, but those characters feel different, right? Like, the characters all have personality to them. So you can feel... I, I think that contributes to them feeling different, even if that's not, not nothing mechanical. Um, I think the other part of this, too, is that the abilities are all actually very different from each other, right? In uh, in Destiny, yeah... The, dis- the the abilities are all different, but they're all they're all a grenade. They're all a, there's there's they're all of like the same form, right? There's, everyone has a grenade. Everyone has a melee strike, um, and uh, the three class abilities are different, uh, which are like the barrier, the healing well, and the dodge for the hunters. But um, I think those just aren't as uh, as memorable, to, to put it bluntly. Um, uh, and, and the supers are all very different, but they're very few and far between um Mm. and uh these characters everything is super different right like uh pathfinder who i've played the most of has a grappling hook and uh and uh uh, a point like uh in a zip line that he can let his friends use as his ultimate and he can find the area of the next circle at certain points that's really cool um uh whereas lifeline who's the character you were playing um uh, real name Ajay Che, so I don't know what ethnicity that's supposed to be. Um, I've actually been secretly trying to look this up the entire time. So yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, she's like, you know, she's got a heal drone, and she can call in a a drop with like special gear in it, which is neat. Um, or you know, with like high level gear in it, uh, which is very different. Um. Bloodhound can see other people's tracks. I was also playing some Caustic earlier, uh, uh, yesterday, which is you can throw out mines and then. Wait, like, really? How did you get Caustic so fast? Um, so uh, because of the aforementioned Ado- uh, not Adobe EA Premiere service, um, you get a, if you have EA Premiere, you get a thousand free coins. So ah, uh, yeah. Uh, so you know benefits. Uh, Boy, okay, yeah. <laughs> um, although I am pretty close to having enough legendary currency. I don't think there's anything else you could spend it on. Um, uh, 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 to, to get another hero. Um, I, um, but, like, they all have such different abilities. Like, Gibraltar, who was somebody else I played, right? He has, um, he has a shield, and when he aims down sights, he puts a shield in front of him. And, uh, uh, and then his, his ult is, like, a big area of effect, like Carpet Bomb. It's, it's all super, uh, it's all super interesting. Um, and super different. And I think that's that's the thing that you're that you're identifying is that um, these abilities are actually really different from each other. Whereas, like in Destiny, the grenades are all kind of grenades, um, and uh, even though they are different from each other, they're not so different that the characters really differentiate themselves from each other. Uh, I also think part of this is that um, is that whenever you have a game that's like class based. And inevitably characters of the same class are going to start to feel similar. Like even in WoW, I never felt that like um, any two characters of the same spec were, were, were that different from each other. Um, uh, and even within the specs, like, you know, I, I never felt like at least from a differentiation perspective that like the different types of rogues were that different from each other. And WoW has had 12 years to kind of, push more boundaries in there so i think they've gotten better at it over the years but i think even in, like especially initially that um yeah uh the the things were the things always felt very similar um, yeah no i've i've talked about this before there's something that like you know maybe this is just the answer to my hypocrisy thing earlier but like there is just really something about like the fragility of the illusion 
Um, like, for instance, I actually I haven't been playing a lot of WoW recently, and like one of the things that will basically completely destroy my ability to play WoW for you know a couple of weeks essentially is like that feeling that you are just running around pressing a couple of buttons you know what i mean like on your keyboard like i don't know what it is but there for instance is some difference between my ability to like sit there i mean i have nine level 120 characters mango like clearly there was something about the early you know release of bfa or whatever that was able to like really keep my attention and stuff like that but then all of a sudden i found myself in a situation where i was just like man i'm really just pressing like one then two filling with three and four when i get a proc or whatever and as soon as like that like that thread unravels it becomes like very hard to see the differences that i otherwise very easily see you know what i mean where like arms warrior feels different than fury warrior feels different than marksman hunter or kind of like whatever else yeah no i i, I think that this is just kind of um uh the fragility of like you, you can never really play a super unique character, I think, in any game because the game has to have a lot of mechanics built around it, unless it's something like this or like Overwatch where the game is built to have these kind of specifically different characters. Um, mm -hmm. Especially anything with like mass multiplayer content that's meant to be, right? Like I think in single-player games, you can have a bunch of different systems um, that can be exploited differently because it's really not the end of the world if one build is better than another. Um, mm -hmm. but as soon as you bring any sort of competitive element into it, um, or even not competitive, right? Like if you're in a cooperative session and one player is much more powerful than, than the rest of you, it's not going to feel good to play those less powerful variants. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and so there's a little bit of, there's kind of like a muddling that has to happen there. We, we've talked about this in the wow episodes, right? Like, um, yeah. you know, you, your, your idea for like AI balanced classes, right? Like, um, when you do that at some level, you have to make things more the same um, in order for, for yeah. you to have any sort of sanity. Yeah, I also think that this, this extends into tabletop to a certain extent. We had a conversation the other day talking about uh, Starfinder. And I think one of the things that is appealing about a game like Pathfinder or uh, even Dungeons & Dragons 3.5 is is the addition, like the existence of good and bad builds and min-maxing and stuff like that. When the game is kind of perfectly balanced, it also sort of re... kind of, like, reclaims your ability as a player to kind of, like, differentiate yourself as a master of these mechanics. Like, I am the guy that wins this game because, you know... I, I am skillful and I know how to combine all of my feats and my items and stuff like that. Um... And so, yeah, I also think, by the way, that like all, all games can effectively be reduced to some of these like basic components. Um, there's nothing unique about the sort of seeing the one, two, three, four in WoW that isn't also mirrored by saying like, oh, well, in, in Call of Duty, all you need to do is point and click on people. You know what I mean? Like that, like there is always that like basic, basic bottom bin uh, kind of like reductive broth from which the stew is derived if that makes sense um yeah and i don't think that that is i don't think that is unique to world of warcraft at all 
so I, I agree with you. I think that there's like this, this I'm going to call it a skill curve aspect because I don't think it's just about skill ceilings and skill floors. Um, although I do think that that's mm-hmm. part of it. I think that like, um, that uh, part of this is uh, uh, not only not only the like that that like you know wow how do I want to put this I think it that doesn't necessarily have like the lowest skill ceiling although I do think it's lower than like a hardcore shooter is just because it's not as twitchy um, but mm-hmm. I also think that the skill curve is a lot more logarithmic if that makes sense. Right, like so, um, it's not that like you can squeeze like there is like a very high skill ceiling to kind of be the best, but getting eighty percent there, that skill ceiling is 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 a lot lower, and so you only get like incremental gains from being that much better. Um, whereas something like a shooter, I think, is a lot more linear, where a, a better yeah. player, um. Differentiates, differentiates themselves more from a, from a worse player. I, you know, and I also sort of think, like, even talking about it in terms of skill is, like, a weird... Um, it's kind of, like, a weird, like, what does that even mean? Because, like, the skill, like, the quote-unquote skills being evaluated are so different, right? Like, sure. being a skilled civilization player is a lot different than being a skilled Call of Duty player is a lot different than being a skilled hearthstone player you know what i mean like all of those um all of those kind of skill sets are like unique in and of themselves and i think that they all kind of represent a general sort of like amorphous mastery but that in some way that in its is kind of it's kind of like subsumed by a greater discussion on maybe sort of like almost like aesthetics i want to say like Part of me thinks that this stuff does come down to aesthetics more than we talk about, right? Like, you know, we've said things like the guns feel good in Destiny and don't feel good in PUBG or whatever. Um, <clears throat> but those are like, those are aesthetic, you know, those are aesthetic things. And it's hard, it's really hard to talk about some of that kind of stuff because I feel like at the end of the day, that's that's what helps or hurts to make this stuff work, right? Maybe that's problem, like part of the problem underlying like Battle for Azeroth, and there's like the the power of the aesthetic is worse when your character is doing things that you might otherwise not be doing with that character. We can all get it behind the the war with the Legion, but it's a bigger sell for us to get into, you know, like the faction war any, or, or or something kind of along those lines. Because I do think that there is like an aesthetic thing that allows you to kind of get past that while I'm just hitting numbers on a keyboard barrier. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. And I, and I think that those aesthetics are very much in the favor of apex legends compared to PUBG. I i actually see this in the PUBG subreddit from time to time where people try and like lo- like understand the lore of the game because there is a lore in the sense that each of the individual um like all of the cars are based on other cars and we know that one map is in Mexico and one map is in Russia. Eastern Europe and Russia, you know like and all this other kind of stuff. Um, but I think that there is that, like, there, there is that real desire and that maybe it's possible with Apex Legends, um, that they have capitalized on the Battle Royale genre just by adding voice lines for individual characters and stuff like that. Yeah, a really compelling aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think, I think it's actually really, really interesting because, um, uh, 
Um, I think this is like a thing where uh, I, I I have fallen off of Path of Exile as I do every time, maybe a little bit further every every, every time I play it. But um, even though I think it's mechanically a much better game than Diablo three, the the aesthetics are not nearly as good as they are in Diablo three. I think that's really what like draws me into the in, into Diablo three is that it it feels good to play and the, those aesthetics are just better. Um, uh, I think the the best thing I can I can put on this is um, in Marvel versus Capcom Ultimate, which is a game I did not play. Um, there was this big thing where the X Men aren't in the game because of the whole Sony Marvel thing, um, mm-hmm. and uh, that means that like a fan favorite like Wolverine wasn't in there. Um, uh, or though he, he, th- I forget if he's in there or not. This might be like an expo. Like this might have been something from early development. But anyway, the community manager said, "Oh, it doesn't matter because this character kind of has the same function um, as the other one." He used some particular phrase that was essentially like, "It's it's the same. It's the same function pattern, so it doesn't matter that it's not Wolverine." Everybody was like, "Are you fucking kidding me? Right? It's fucking Wolverine, right? Like, so even yeah, if you yeah, have yeah. That, that that same fucking that, that same function pattern, um, uh, the aesthetics are really important to bring that to light to, to life. Like Marvel versus Capcom with a bunch of wireframes, um, fighting each other rather than Marvel superheroes and Capcom and like Street Fighter fighters." Is, is is not going to be as enjoyable an experience, and so I, I think I think you've tapped into something important there. You know, this is like the fourth prong of the um of, of the kind of you know, uh, e- you know, looting roguelites, easy to convert from shooters, uh, easy to or you know, easy to jump back into, and then like really nice aesthetics. I think is I think you've hit it on the head. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and I think that this is something that, like, I I almost feel like it ebbs and flows in the game's press, um, like, the conversation, the discourse, right? Um, Because I think that there was a time, maybe 10 years ago, when we we were having lots of conversations about aesthetics, right? Like, this was, this is, like, the time when you and I were in college, and we were kind of in between, like, you know... 2007 and 2012 and there were a lot of single player games coming out some of them succeeding and some of them failing kind of on their their aesthetics and how their aesthetics influence the mechanics and your ability to buy in and all these other kinds of things right um like the core objection to mass effect 3 which is like remembered as a bad game is purely an aesthetic one Right, because the ending was bad, or really a narrative one, but it's the same. You know, yeah. it, it wasn't. It wasn't mechanics, right? It's not like the mechanics of the game were bad. The mechanics of the game were amazing by all accounts. Um, but it, but its major failing was kind of um, was in the illusion, uh, like that that tenuous illusion that we've kind of been talking about. And then I feel like we stepped away from that kind of a conversation and all we were talking about was mechanics and we could essentially, you know, reduce a game to like polygon hitboxes or whatever, running around in a white landscape and people would be like, Oh, well the mechanics are good so that the game would, you know, like so that the game would be good. Um, but I don't know. I feel like, I feel like apex legends, um, it's kind of like a legitimate, uh, even Fortnite to a certain extent. Like, listen, anybody who's ever like 
looked at one of those like Lisa Frank stickers understands Fortnite has an aesthetic. Okay. You guys. Um, And I think that, yeah, maybe using that instead of kind of just like the drab, um, uh, you know, like hyper realism of PUBG is an indicator towards Fortnite success. Right. So Uh, it certainly is an indicator for, for children. uh, Yeah. So I, I think, I think part of this is that one, Aesthetics are subjective, right? Like what you enjoy, what you yeah. don't enjoy, right? Like maybe I'm a little harsh when I like. I think there are some aesthetics of Diablo three that are like straight better than Path of Exile in terms of like animations and whatnot. But like the kind of like art direction is a matter of preference. Um, mm. and that's I think why a lot of people latch on to Path of Exile because it looks more like Diablo two than Diablo three does, and they really like that uh, that that uh that art direction aspect of the aesthetics. Mm-hmm. Um, and similarly, I think a lot of people prefer like like the milsim stuff but i think that's going to ultimately be less popular like be popular with a smaller percentage of people um than kind of the more cartoony aesthetic which is why yep. uh, which is what apex can trade off of um you know that's not to say that the the hyper realism is bad it's just not always preferred um uh and i think that yeah i feel like it's that objective uh it's that objective subjective line that kind of led to this in a certain sort of way like at a certain point we just kind of said oh well it's entirely subjective so everybody's entitled to their opinion we can't actually evaluate this um which i don't think is true um but it kind of like you know people don't want to be wrong so they back off of kind of talking about that kind of stuff you can be right and wrong about you know mechanics or whatever um but it's a lot harder to tell somebody that they're wrong for liking the realism in PUBG or they're wrong for liking the cartoonishness yeah. in Fortnite. And I, I, you know I don't I mean? think they are. And I think I think yeah. I think I think like I pointed out, right, like that that you can point to aspects of the aesthetics that are objectively better and worse. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's definitely. hard to force that out. Um, I also think part of it is um, I think aesthetics can make a game better, but I don't think they can make a bad game good. I think ultimately a lot of these things like still rest on the the underlying mechanics being solid at least if that makes sense right like um if apex was a terrible game that felt bad to shoot with all the aesthetics in the world wouldn't make that fun to play oh that's interesting i see i would i i guess i kind of agree with that but i flip it differently in my mind like i think good aesthetics can make a in a certain sense mechanics is your floor and aesthetics is your ceiling right you if your mechanics are bad it doesn't matter how high your ceiling is your floor is bot- is you know so low that it doesn't matter anyway um and we've seen this kind of come out in certain you know like in certain games and kind of certain places um over time um but like you can you can the the like the, the mechanical core of apex and the mechanical core of pubg are you know, pretty, pretty, pretty much the same. They're like ninety percent made of the same uh, DNA. You don't think so? So, I it's it's like PUBG's like like this is like differences in style. But like, if you want to say that like they're ninety percent the same because they're both battle royale shooters, maybe yeah, yeah. I'm with them it, it, with it, you. It, but this like, is, this is like saying that like a chimp shares ninety eight percent DNA with a human compared to a banana, which shares sixty percent DNA. Do you know what I mean? In the wide in the wide view of games, they are very similar. Yeah, I mean mechanically. Yeah, yeah, but so does like I don't know, like Alien Colonial. Like I feel like there is a mechanical 
difference there that's kind of like intentionally and by design. And I think that is very important for like um kind of evaluating their differences. Um but I take your point. Adele. Yeah, but and, and so and so I think that really, really the 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 end result of of what I'm saying is that you can really enhance your game by you know yeah you you can definitely enhance your game by making a good use of your uh, making good use of your mechanics and making good changes where there need to be good changes right um, but you also you can also get somewhere by it, to a certain extent I actually think that this is part of why Final Fantasy 14 has succeeded and WoW hasn't because it hasn't they or I'm sorry not and WoW hasn't um, and games that try and copy WoW haven't because WoW is sort of the master of its own aesthetic in a way where 14 wanted to do something entirely different right 14's aesthetic is anime and it it's not you know kind of like high fantasy like western high fantasy rpg setting right um whereas something like i don't know elder scroll online or something like that is that elder scrolls online is is fairly successful um, yeah, you sure, but still, no, the, so, like so I, I'm I, talking I, about, I'm, I'm trying to think. What are like all of the WoW clones that failed? So I, learned, I, like, I think, I think the best example is WildStar, which has the same kind of cartoony aesthetic that WoW does. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, kind of fell apart. Even even as a sci-fi game, it still it still fell apart. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I think you're you're absolutely right that it's an important point of uh, differentiation um, that can make you. At the very, so I think part of this too is like if you're unique, you stand out, and thus thus you mm-hmm. get attention. People are willing to kind of like look at you and see see what you're like. Um, whereas like uh, a similar game with with a with a not a worse but like a a more normal uh, or a more seen aesthetic will not right like what's what's a good example of this right like. Like every kind of like small realistic shooter, um, is going to kind of be fall like be blurred behind uh, uh, the Call of Duty and Battlefield, um, mm-hmm. and only really appeal to kind of like the the hardcore milsim audience if that's what they're going for, right? If you tried to make a game yeah. like like Call of Duty in that Call of Duty style without being Activision. Uh, then uh, your game's probably gonna fail because you might as well play Call of Duty. Um, yeah, you know, you know, it's actually funny. I think that that is a really. I think we've we've attacked this from two different angles in two different podcasts very recently because I think Anthem is the flip case of this. It, it essentially has the same aesthetic as Destiny, right? Like in that kind of um, you know futuristic, but also realism. Um, bit of mysticality type of stuff bit, uh, yeah a bit of mysticality sci-fi sort of sci-fi fantasy. sci-fi fantasy right yeah. but the mechanics are the big differentiation point and the mechanics for anthem really work for me where the mechanics of destiny didn't work for me right um because one of them i guess i would kind of say like one of them is sort of like on a shooter chassis and the other one is on an rpg chassis um and so in in a certain <laughs> The comparison between those two games to me, I feel, I, I think feels a lot like the comparison between like PUBG and, um, uh, PUBG and Apex Legends. But like, w- like one of them is about th- this big aesthetics difference for me, where the other one's about a big mechanics difference. That makes sense. I, I, I can buy that. This, this also kind of like 
I don't know, thinking about this, like, if you want to throw, like, Borderlands into the mix, it's very similar kind of mechanically to both Destiny and Anthem, but it's got its kind of very separate aesthetic, like, weirdness. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, I'm kind of surprised that they never... You would think that that would kind of be a slam dunk for uh, who's it? I guess two K that owns Borderlands. It's, it's Gearbox, um, and you know uh, Randy's Gearbox got his developed. yeah yeah. R- Randy's oh, got yeah. his problems. <laughs> <laughs> you but you would think that if you're I guess I guess they have enough money coming out of their like ears when it comes to GTA Online. Um, but uh, uh, you have a pretty good. IP sitting around to make like a, a looter shooter MMO like Destiny kind of work. Yeah, um, I'm, I, so. I think I mean uh, Borderlands Two is kind of that, and the pre sequel maybe I don't know. I never actually played the pre sequel. Yeah. Um, what is Gearbox working on right now? Uh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, they came out with that one game that just failed horribly. Uh, um, which the, one? The game that got absolutely blown out by Overwatch. Oh, uh, Paladins. No, Battleborn. 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 Right. Yeah, Battleborn, Battleborn got destroyed by yeah. um by yeah. Overwatch. They also did We Happy Few. Um uh, what do they have up? They have uh a Brothers in Arm there's a TBA Brothers in Arm game, there's a TBA Duke Nukem game, a TBA Borderlands game. Uh okay. Uh uh, on April 22nd in 2016, Gearbox confirms the Borderlands 3 will be its next game. Um, okay. We'll tease sequel content in Battleborn DLC. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, actually, I, I think Jim, Jim Sterling of the Jimquisition, when Overwatch and Battleborn came out back-to-back, he was like, I actually think Battleborn is the better game than like the release version of Overwatch. You are, you are confusing uh, Paladins. With this, nobody liked. Nobody thought Battleborn was good. I don't think. Well, so what I think he said was, I think I like Battleborn better than Overwatch. But the problem is, is that there were only like two hundred and twelve people online or something like that. So you couldn't even find a match. It was just like so kind of blown out of the uh, okay. water. Because um, Paladins also came out around the same time, right? Like, they, yeah, they, yeah, they released... I do remember. Yeah, because I think Dunkey has a video about how Paladins and Overwatch are like the same game. Yeah. By the way, uh, according to all um available sources i actually did a deep dive on this at one point um according to all available sources those gate like there is no ripping off of one another in for overwatch and paladins they were both in development at about the same time um and seem to have independently come to similar conclusions um for for how the kind of characters they they were both they were both ripping off uh team fortress 2 it's obvious yeah for real um (laughs) Uh, yeah, but yeah, I I think I think the hero shooter was going to be like a genre that, um, that kind of emerged. Like I feel like it's kind of maybe Black Swanish, um, but there were a bunch of games kind of in that in, in that kind of space that that made sense. Um, yeah, uh, to go that way. Um, yeah, and people are really weirdly protective of Overwatch lore. Um, protective is kind of like the wrong word, but I'm I'm always kind of surprised how much people care about the overwatch lore um so when like ash who is the who's like the cow the uh white hair female cowboy that got released boy that's a siren in my background um 
Ash, who is the white-haired female cowboy that got released at BlizzCon, uh, has some kind of like relationship with McCree or whatever. And I was really surprised at how many people were talking about that relationship as like, oh my god, what a cool thing. You know what I mean? In the in the lore of of the game or whatever. Cause like I feel like the conventional wisdom is that the lore of this kind of doesn't even doesn't but, even really matter. See, see, it's it's funny to me because like everything I saw was like, well, it's like they don't care about their own lore. Jesse McCree has to be like both twenty and eighty years old simultaneously. In no, order no, 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 no. Makes sense. I mean, so I, there was a decent amount of that. I will agree with you. Um, because uh, I do remember that it didn't make sense. I don't know the Overwatch lore very well, so I don't, uh, so I don't like know this stuff. But because I play a lot of WoW and Hearthstone, and I follow a lot of people that do Blizzard stuff, I was seeing a lot of conversation about Ash. Um, so, but like the fact that people like care about this is sure. so weird because like it almost feels like you know who do, do people. Do people care about this in other games? I mean, I guess I was making the point earlier that they do because people are talking about like the lore in um uh in the PUBG games. Even the lore, by the way, Payday has like a pretty extensive lore to it that I had no idea about, but actually gets like referenced all the time in the Payday subreddit. I feel like people just like like the lore of their games a lot more than they like give them credit for. I also think that they 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 like lore that you have to kind of piece together right like yeah yeah dark souls yeah this lore, is the right? like, dark souls stuff yeah exactly yeah. um i also think like hot take i think people like overwatch lore more than they like overwatch um i i think that people are willing to kind of ride or die on that universe even though you know the game is not really that tied into it so much um yeah uh which is interesting um but I think like things similar things started to happen towards the middle of TF2 when they started like putting lore into that game. Um uh not not uh, like like it went from like weird character intros to like real serious like stories about like what why TF2 was happening and I think people really latched onto that. Mm. Um, and you know, and you know, Blizzard puts out high quality content for their lore. Um, and the game kind of stays, not that the game is bad, but it kind of stays the same, right? Like, you, you, yeah, it's just playing more of Overwatch, which is fine. It's just, um, I don't know. I think people really like that kind of, like you said, people, people like their lore. Um, I just think it's interesting because I think in Overwatch, it's in despite of the fact that I don't think people like that game as much as the enthusiasm for the lore would indicate. Uh, sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, this is one of those things where, like, I have seen multiple posts on the Overwatch subreddit where it's like, you know, every time I go to buy this game, I just make a new cosplay costume for the new hero instead. Um, and it's just like, really? You you, you don't play this game, but yet you're willing to like, but it's like, yeah, I like the character, I like the Lord. It's like, well, you don't really get any of that from the game, so I guess that makes sense. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um. Uh, that's Apex Legends, I guess. <laughs> Inter- excited to see someone cosplay Bloodhound, I guess. Um, uh, in that case, how, how was, uh, how was your week? How was my week? What did I do this week? Fuck. So, uh, so something I didn't talk about last week, but that I've been playing both this week and last week, um, has been Stellaris. 
Um, Solaris 2.2 came out, which released uh, with the patch for the new expansion, which is the Megacorps expansion. Um, So, like, the base game is still kind of like the base game where you can sort of set up your government by being like, oh, I'm a fanatic militarist xenophobe and I want to, like, kill all these guys in the galaxy or sort of whatever. But, like, they also released... um, They've released two expansions that allow you new government types. One of them is the Gestalt Consciousness, which is like a hive mind. Um, and you can do that like with a literal hive of like bugs or whatever. Um, I am currently doing a Gestalt playthrough where I'm playing uh, a machine consciousness, which is awesome and a lot of fun. Because um, it is, you basically can't do diplomacy you just want to purge the meat bags. So like every time you meet a new race, you're just like target acquired. (laughs) (laughs) But like you get some bonuses to your empire, um, but not a ton. And you get a couple of things like, for instance, because you're all robots, you have 200% habitability. You can just inhabit anything. And you get a couple of things you can do in war. Like you can bombard a planet so powerfully it's called are the armageddon bombard stance um that it turns the planet into a wasteland like a tomb world um that only the machines can inhabit um so it's kind of you versus the whole galaxy and the question is like can you be aggressive enough and like make yourself powerful enough to take over uh take over the galaxy before the whole galaxy unites to defeat you sort of thing um the mega core is uh the megacorps is is uh sort of the opposite of that it's very diplomacy focused because what it allows you to do is you can go to other people's systems and you can say like this is the default megacorp you can say hey we're a giant conglomerate you know whatever let us open a corporate branch and then you the both groups get a benefit from it um so if I open a branch in all of your cities and you open a branch er, and, and, and if I open a branch in all of your cities, I can then, you know, build buildings in your cities that make money for both of us, if that makes sense. Um, but there's also a version of it that's a criminal syndicate where you don't have to ask. You just select somebody's place and you're like, hey, I'm building a fucking building suck a dick yeah. <laughs> and, you, and then you you build buildings that increase their crime rate and stuff like that um and there's also a uh there's also a religious version of it where you're building churches in people's uh and converting them to spiritualists um so this is a this is another one of those games that has gotten better after release i feel like they've ironed out a lot of the kinks that we were I guess I would say frustrated by um, they have dramatically changed the way that the economy works in the game. Um, It used to be that the economy was built around you had the, you had like a grid and you were placing the, you were literally taking groups of citizens and placing them in places on the grid of the, um, of the planet. And they've completely gotten rid of that. Um, And it's, yeah, it's now a lot more abstract. You build, um you build districts and you have housing and your housing is the max number of pops that you can have on a planet and you can build for instance if you build a ton of city districts you get a ton of housing but you don't get a lot of jobs so you would have you know you would have housing to have 
plenty of people, but you wouldn't have the jobs necessarily to keep them all employed. Um, and then you can build like a generator district build uh, generates energy, which is kind of like the money. Um, you have mining districts that generate minerals, and then you can have uh, farming districts that generate food. And then you, and then there's like a second layer of resources on top of that, right? Like you convert minerals into research, or you convert energy into alloys, right? And alloys is what now gets used instead of minerals to create ships and stuff like that. So it's like it's a lot more complicated, but also gratifying. I find from like a from like an economic standpoint, I felt like the default Stellaris was kind of like. It was like spreadsheety, but it wasn't very engaging with its spreadsheets. It is now just as spreadsheety as it was before. Um, but I guess I would say, thankfully, um, there is a lot more room for kind of like skill and optimization in how you are kind of like building out your empire. Ah, that's 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 really cool. Um, uh, yeah. I was I was considering picking up some of those expansions because uh, there, there's a Steam sale on right now, um, the uh, the the Lunar New Year sale. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, uh, I was thinking about picking up some of that stuff to go along with. Uh, I don't know other stuff that exists. Um, yeah, the other thing that they've added is were you there? Did you see? I think Mega Structures was the first thing, but it was it's essentially a big end game project. But it's like you know all of the fantasy kind of um, it's all of like the fantasy big giant space things that people have talked about, like a Dyson sphere. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. Which, I remember the yeah, big or, or a, uh, a Ring World also. Um, yeah, I, I haven't played that game in a long, long time. So yeah, so there there's now more stuff to do in the end game than just like, you know, make your empire kind of like go crazy or whatever and wait to win. Oh. Yeah, I'd, I'd be interested in going back to that game. Um but on the horizon is uh, Imperator, so you know there's mm-hmm. that um uh, which I'm super happy about. They just released a release date for that which is April 25th. Um, I'm really really surprised that they released that uh so quickly that they released that announced date so quickly cuz the last thing that I heard from Quill18, who's like a big Let's Player for these strategy games, he went to a Paradox Summit with a couple of other streamers, um, and they all played a release build, or sorry, they all played an alpha build of um, of Imperator, and he said, he was like, I, I have no idea, they didn't tell us anything like this, but it feels like um, the it feels like the game isn't going to come out till next year. You know what I mean? Um, so like the idea that it's coming out in April is kind of mind blowing. Well, well then maybe that's, uh, which by the way, isn't to say that the game is bad or anything like that. It's yeah. just that Quillet teen apropos of nothing was like, this has more than a year in development left. Um, and paradox is like, ah, six months. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, also, you know, Quill 18 isn't a game dev. Fuck him! No. Uh, yeah. uh, but, you know, that's just, uh, you know. Um, I'm excited for it. Um, this, this this first couple of months is going to be is, is heavy in games that I want to play. Um, um, I might jump into Final Fantasy 14 at some point. There's so many. There's, like, God Eater 3, and, like, which is, I think, out now. Um, so, you know, there's, like, 7,000 things to play. And not enough time. Mm-hmm. I'm busy just playing Destiny all the time. So, you know. Um... Yeah, for real. I mean, yeah, because we have 
Anthem is coming up. Apex Legends just came out. Um, Total War Three Kingdoms is in the beginning of March. You know, like yeah, there's uh, Sekiro, there's Devil May Cry Five. Um, what else is there? There's, there's just a ton of games. I feel like this is gonna be a good year for games. I am hopeful. Um, hopefully, not all of them will be terrible. Terrible. Uh, mm. You know, I, I I could see them all being like. Uh, uh, not all of them, but like I can see like some of these falling flat on their faces. Like I'm, I'm mildly worried about uh, uh, about this, uh, about Anthem having enough content to be worth it. We talked a little bit about this last week. Yeah, um, I wouldn't be surprised if Anthem will end up in that Destiny two place where it's a lot of fun at first, and we kind of exhausted of content in a couple of weeks, and then come back to it next year. It's like, oh wow, there's so much more to do in Anthem. So apparently God Eater 3 comes out tomorrow, so you know. Jesus. <laughs> so it will have come out by the time that uh, that this episode goes live. Uh, yeah. So yeah. It might be live now? Uh, oh, it's, it's, it's live now on Steam, so you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 20%, Today, well, it's 20% off if you, if, uh, until February 14th, which will be after this episode comes out. So yay. Um, there's Gathering Storm for Civ. Um, which looks neat. Um, oh, know. yeah, Gathering Storm. Yeah, that comes out next week? Next week, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the week after that, this is actually something I wanted to talk about. Um, well, before I get to that, there's The Division 2, which is another looter shooter MMO. <laughs> um, I actually feel really bad for The Division 2 because I've heard it's great. Sorry, The Division. Because I've heard it's great. And I have a bunch of friends who've been like, come play The Division with us. Come play The Division with us. And I am that guy Who's like, oh yeah, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, hey, come to come to come out to the bar with us. Sure, I'll you know I'll be there, and then I never show up yeah. because like I have told people that I uh, that I'm gonna play the division with them, and then I never actually go and play it. I actually believe I own the division one on Steam. So, uh, so this is this is a great like Ubisoft has been incredible about supporting their games until they're good. Um, like apparently For Honor is really good now, and I haven't played that game in like really. Yeah. yeah, I I was uh, that's funny. I was off the hype train for For Honor uh, before it came out, um, but I remember a lot of people being really kind of uh, burned. Yeah, because it, it, it was fun, but there were too many defensive options. But apparently, it's great now. Um, mm-hmm. Apparently, Division One's great now, and uh, Rainbow Six Siege is supposed to be really good. Um, I've played a little bit of that. Um, so the Ubisoft's, you know, credit where credits do Ubisoft does a good job with its live games. Um, so I'm kind of excited about it. Um, but the thing I wanted to talk about is another game that's coming out is uh, Metro Exodus. Um, and I wanted to get your take. Yeah, you, you, you oh yeah, this is a big thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they pulled it off Steam. It only comes out through the Epic Games Store. Yeah. So for for those of you who haven't heard at home, uh, Metro Exodus is the third game in the Metro series. Um, it is coming out on uh, Xbox, PS4, and PC. And on PC, it was available for pre-order on Steam. And something like a week or two ago, they anou- they pulled it off the Steam store and announced that it would only be available for through the Epic Game Store for the next year. Um, uh, and uh, they said they were honoring existing sales. So the people on Steam still can still play it through Steam if they want. Part of this is the price drop to $50 in the Epic Game Store. Um, uh, partially because they get a better, uh, they get a better, pro- they get a better, uh, profit share through the Epic's game store. Um, 
uh, the other thing around the, the other part of this is um, uh, people were mad about it, so they started review bombing uh, the first two games, which is a thing that happens on Steam. And one of the developers, I, I hate that so much. I, so I do too. But then uh, one of the developers kind of put their foot in it by uh, like saying, uh, you know. Uh, those people suck, and if this keeps happening, the next Metro game just won't come out on PC. And everybody was like, "What?" And then uh, Metro was immediately Metro's immediate response. What or you know, like the company at large's response was, uh, uh, "He was very passionate, but his views not respect ours, and it was a mistake. Sorry, we mm-hmm. didn't say that. Sorry." Um, so you know, it, it's, it's kind of a whole clusterfuck. Um, I kind of want to go through this piece by piece because. Um, like starting at the top, people are like, "I don't want to have to install more than one launcher," which for me is like a non-issue. I don't know why people are mad about this, um, but then it kind of like it goes through like you know, like is this anti-consumer to do this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Do you have any thoughts uh, to, well, while we're uh, just overall? Uh so the thing I find interesting about it is that like typically this is framed around console. You know what I mean? Like the when we talk about kind of exclusivity deals, we talk about them through you know like through kind of console versus PC stuff. And PC is seen as this like you know oh the PC has has everything and and you know uh, and that's what you know like and that's what makes it better. But yeah, my core thing is that's bullshit and this is bullshit and. Uh, I am not really all that mad about Metro Exodus being on the Epic Store. I like Steam. I think Steam is a strong company. I've always wanted Steam to have a little bit more competition. And I think it kind of does now when it comes to, um, you know, like GOG or, or you know, Green Man Gaming or even like the Discord Store or, or kind of like whatever else. But I feel like we've been dealing with all this stuff on a different launcher for a long time. I'm very critical of exclusives, but that's because the the my problem with exclusives is locking things behind $100 paywalls, right? I cannot play Kingdom Hearts 3 even if I have a copy because I don't own a PS4. All I have to do to get Metro Exodus is get a different yeah, game client. And I think you know like I I I I feel that to a certain extent. Um but I ultimately just kind of feel like I don't care. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, <laughs> I also think that the Epic storefront isn't great. Like, it doesn't even have a search function. But you know what? The Steam storefront hasn't been good ever. <laughs> um, and maybe this will make them better. Like, I don't, I don't, I like, I get being mildly annoyed that you have to download a second launcher, but I don't get being yeah. mad or like thinking that this is a problem in any way, shape, or form. Um, I want to yell at all the kids because, you know, back in the day there weren't launchers and you just had to have your CDs and put them in your CD drive um, and launch games that way. Kids these days with their multifaceted bullshit. Um, their, you know, digital distribution is garbage. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. know. Um, I, I, I you know, basically think it's... it's 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 overwrought um uh so so an interesting kind of argument i guess is that like um when exclusives get things for the consumer like there's like some benefit there right like that uh you know like typically an exclusive comes with like the 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 company that that has the exclusive helps fund development in some way 
Um, but that's not the case here. Um, and so there's like no real like that it's that it's bad because there's no real benefit to the consumer. I guess other you know there's the price drop, but that's like a thing that presumably would have happened even if it wasn't exclusive to the uh, to the Epic Game Store for the year. Um, I don't know. At, and at that point, I, I, I think I can evaluate it as kind of like, like you know, like, that's like a neutral point that doesn't make it bad. It's just kind of like whatever. Um, but uh, other than that, I don't know. I don't, I don't have any real strong feelings on, uh, on it. I, I'm surprised it is such like a, a big deal other than kind of like the, the brouhaha over like the threat to not make more Metro games on PC. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I actually kind of think, I mean, I, I am of two minds. I think that this thing could be positive. Um, like, I read a thread by an indie game developer who essentially kind of said, no, this is actually an okay thing because it allows indie games to leverage exclusivity as a way to get, you know, funding and support or something right. like that. Um, this has, by the way, been true on the Microsoft uh, Live Store for a long time, where they have been very happy to work with indie game developers in order to put stuff on, like, the Microsoft Live Store um, rather than letting it go to PlayStation. And, like, I feel like that's, like, a powerful, you know, like, that's a that's a powerful um, tool in their, in their arsenal, I guess. Yeah, the, the, the Microsoft Store is interesting, too, because, like, being there gives you the whole buy-once-play on the Xbox or the PC type thing, which I think is neat. Um, uh, um, I am a little bit, like, I guess it's kind of good from, like, a thousand-foot view um, if, if uh, developers can leverage that. But, like, if you want to take this, like, some, somebody pointed out, you know, Epic Games giving a better cut to their developers is theoretically neutral to consumers if, you know, at the end of the day, it's the same price coming out either way, right? Like, he doesn't, like, like how much you care about that should be severely mitigated by the fact that you're not seeing a ton of benefit from it. And I, I think this kind of gets into this weird place where, like, people really like game companies and kind of have what approaches like parasocial relationships with them um mm -hmm. but at the end of the day they are game companies that are making pro they, they are products companies making products for you to consume with your dollars and at some level you have to remember that and not be bamboozled by like the fact that they've got you know a friendly staff right they are they are a company and you are a consumer um and if steam is giving you the best deal you should buy it on steam type of deal um mm -hmm. uh like, like this, this is this is a weird thing that happens kind of with indies because indies I think get more into like you know Undertale right you can go tweet at Toby Fox on Twitter and he might respond to you right like and he seems like a pretty cool dude and I don't, and you know I definitely wouldn't lump him in with like Activision um, right um, but you know for the you know if somebody. I guess Activision is a bad idea because they're a bad example because they have uh, they they launch things through uh, the the Blizzard launcher now. But like, who's a, who's a big like Two K right? Like, Two um, K puts the game puts the game out through the Epic Store. It's like you shouldn't feel obligated to help them with that because they're getting a better a better cut there, right? Like, mm -hmm. they're a giant corporation. <laughs> Who gives a fucking shit? Um, and I think that, 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 that does echo down through, even through some of the, the more indie levels, but, you know, 
who less less so. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of great bamboozling, Mango, I want to just mention this because I didn't realize uh, we we had our Super Bowl episode. Um, uh, do you have any connection to the SpongeBob community? And how the SpongeBob community got bamboozled by Maroon Five, who said they were going to feature the, uh, uh, who said they were going to feature the Sweet Victory song after the SpongeBob creator Steven Hillenburg died earlier this year, um, and then they featured three seconds from it as an introduction introduction to the song Sicko Mode. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I was, I was not sure how much of that was like a confirmed thing and more of a rumor that just got out of control. But, uh, um, you know, did I mention this on last week's podcast? I don't think you did. Okay, yeah, because I am very connected to this. This is the is the cause of my generation. I feel like I want to like donate charity dollars <laughs> to victims of the bamboozling by the the NFL. Uh, <laughs> um, but, but, uh, what I wanted to, what I wanted to ask a little bit or talk a little bit about is like the halftime show and like halftime shows in general, because I eventually found out that there, that the sweet victory song was then played at the Dallas stars. Yeah. Yeah. The, the NHL, uh, the, the hockey team or whatever, um, and it kind of like raises I like I I guess I've always understood that there's a there's a halftime show for the Super Bowl that's always like a big deal. But it's like they're a halftime show for every football well, game. So the Dallas Stars are, are, are as, as as you said a, a a hockey team and there is no right. halftime because it is three periods. Yeah, um, that's true. Um but there is always uh there's always like a 25 minute break I think usually um, in the middle of football games. Um, okay. Um, and usually it's some sort of marching band uh, doing something. Uh, okay. And like a bunch so of like little John things. John Philip Sousa thing, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's usually like like it's – like I've been to a bunch of Giants games, uh, New York Giants games, because my uh, my my, uh, my family is a season ticket holder. Um, it's usually some – it's either like a high school or like a military band or uh, maybe a college band. Um, and there's also usually like some little dumb games, right? Like, you know, we we pulled three random people out of the audience, and they're gonna try and kick a field goal, you know, stuff like that. And gotcha. you know, what a prize if they make it. Um, it's also a time when people go use the bathroom and buy mm-hmm. concessions and whatever. Um, uh, but it's 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 not on the scale of the Super Bowl halftime show. Uh, okay. Um, also, this this Super Bowl halftime show was less spectacular than it has been previously like lady gaga and katie perry's were like kind of like crazy um katie uh, perry's is the one with the sharks right yes the left shark yeah okay Uh, good because i love that meme as well um uh but the uh the the thing that was notable about this one it was very clear that uh adam levine was actually singing in this halftime show you could tell because it wasn't you know you wasn't perfect um and usually they lip sync uh so that was that was uh kind of impressive um uh but other than that you know like you said very disappointing that sweet victory did not get played um people were as you said very very uh betrayed um yeah uh 
I don't know. Super Bowl yeah. was a letdown this year in all regards. Commercials weren't <laughs> great. Game was boring. Halftime show was didn't deliver on its promises and also wasn't the best halftime show. Uh, uh, I think my favorite meme to come out of the Super Bowl was definitely Maroon 5, Patriots 3, uh, Rams 0. Um, like <laughs> score. Um, Do you think that the, that the score of the game, like that this being a very low-scoring Super Bowl game, like, is there a metagame to football? Like, is this is this indicative of some kind of defensive shift towards defensive play that, like, uh, will uh, end up in lower-scoring games? Or is this just, like, a product of the circumstances? Uh, it's weird because people were predicting this was going to be a higher-scoring game. Most people predicted both teams with scores in the 20 to 30-point range, maybe even a little higher. Um, uh, um so there are teams that have like a very that, that are well known for their defenses, um, and I'm I'm no expert. I'm just kind of a casual fan. Um, but like I said last week, um, uh, defense can be fun to watch if there are like stunning defensive plays, and there weren't a lot of those here. There's just like some very solid defensive play. You know, good mm-hmm. fundamentals are like solid gameplay, but not the most fun to watch. And there weren't a lot of like super fantastic. Um, offensive plays, which is kind of why this game was uh, kind of boring. Um, I think I don't think there's a meta shift here for for uh, uh, the game. I think part I, I think a big part of this is the New England Patriots are an excellent team. As much as I hate to say it, um, I hate the Patriots. They're like the villains of the NFL. Even um, though they are your team. They're not my team. To love them. Stop because it. Because you now live in the Northeast. <laughs> Stop it. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, they, are, they, they are begrudgingly an excellent team. Tom Brady is one of the greats to play the game. Um, and Bill Belichick is one of the greatest coaches of all time. Um, and they're very good at kind of adapting to their opponents. Uh, you know, we, we, talk, okay. we, we talk about, like, you know, in LOL adapting to the changing meta and whatever. Yeah. Um, especially when you've got some lead time, Bill Belichick's great at, at getting the team to react to that. So I think that's kind of what happened here. Um, I'm Like I said, I'm no expert, but some of the commenters were saying that um, the Patriots had very clearly adapted to uh, uh, to kind of the, the Rams' more prevalent strategies from the season. Um, yeah. Um, and the Rams just yeah, played great defense. It's funny because I have – a good sense for that sort of thing in other sorts of games and stuff like that. Like I have a good sense for that sort of thing in Hearthstone, which is all about this stuff, right? Like they actually just put out a whole new set of buffs and nerfs. And I can just look at those and go, this is how it's going to adapt kind of to the meta or whatever. But I have never felt that capable when it comes to football. And I, I almost sort of wonder like how much uh, the, you know, like I, I sort of like wonder how much the layman can kind of interpret or understand, um, you know, like what are the strengths and weaknesses of the of the Rams and how they're playing? And if I was the coach, what would I do? Kind of thing. So I I, I think that there are a lot of people who spend a lot of time with this, but I think part of it too is that, um, like sports, like you know, real sports, um, are much more res- resilient to kind of meta type changes. One because the rules don't change that often. And two, because there's such a dependence on, you know, the actual players that make up the team, right? Like yeah. Hearth- Hearthstone, the cards are what they are, right? Like you don't have mm. – it's not like you have a copy of of of, of, uh, 
of Sunshine Shield Shieldmaster that is like the best one and has like an extra point of health. Um, uh, uh, whereas like the differences yeah. between individual players in the same position on a football team make make all the difference, and so it's much more team based, and the metas are much more team based. Um, and with those with those strengths and weaknesses, then they are in kind of esports where it's more based around yeah. kind of uh, yeah the. Uh, uh, the, the and to be clear, you know, playing the actual game of Hearthstone is, you know, like there's there's one thing between I can I can have a broad read on how nerfs will affect the the meta, and another one to be like like good Hearthstone players will will do this. Um, it's almost like chess or something like that, where they can they can pinpoint based on their opponents kind of moves what cards are in their hands and it's insane to watch to like watch that happen in real time because you you'll see like you make a read that they don't have hellfire and you can play your emerald you know your greater emerald spellstone or whatever else kind of thing by what cards they have kept in their hands and when they've kept them and you have to remember all of that information um and stuff like that like there's actually a really interesting game um there's a really interesting game of Token Druid Mirror that got played out literally as a chess game because one player kind of could foresee the entire game, like 40, you know, like 30 cards, 30 turns the game, and the other player didn't match it as well and kind of had to pick up on what was going on at as it was going on just because Token Druid... Um, Token Druid sort of relies on the opponent to make certain kinds of moves in order to react to those moves with very powerful swing turns or whatever. And so in a mirror match, it is a lot harder to like execute on that and and make sure you get all of your power um, out of the engine of your deck. And watching that kind of thing in real time is like legitimately fascinating. But I but I expect that that is the same kind of thing as watching Bill Belichick and being like, oh my god, I can't believe he outplayed you know, on a strategic level, uh, whoever the fuck coaches the Rams. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know as, as, as much about that kind of thing, but yeah. Um, it's, this is definitely more visible when like a team goes in at halftime and they come out and they just like win hard in the second half. Cause those types of adjustments definitely happen at halftime. Mm. Um, uh, so yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's a, that's, Ball, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's talk about sports. Uh, did you have anything else you want to talk about before we wrap this up? Uh, we are going to do Alita Battle Angel, which comes out next week. Um, so wait, it comes out next week, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Uh, so if you want to know what next week, ep- what next week's episode is going to be about, it is going to be about that movie directed by Robert Rodriguez and produced by James Cameron. I am going to okay. attempt to uh, read the manga as I usually do for these types of movies ahead of time, so I will be able to hopefully provide comparisons. Nice. Um, yeah, well, um, uh, in that case, if you'd like to email us and tell us what you think about Apex Legends or the Super Bowl or any of the other things that we talked about on this podcast, you can email us at podcast.dervisplaygames.com or some dervisplaygames at, podca- at com, not at podcast.com. Um, you can follow us at twitch.tv slash some nervous play games. You can, uh, 
What else can you do? Leave comments on uh, SoundCloud. Leave, send us emails. I uh, want to give a shout out to friend of the cast, Lou, for leaving a comment on SoundCloud on our uh, on our uh, last uh, cast. Uh, so thanks for that. Um, uh, otherwise, uh, I think that's everything I had. Buddy, did you have anything else you wanted to promote? I have nothing else I'm looking to promote. In that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.